You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Dan Huber. Uh, he is the uh, author of The Huber Report, which is in the uh, explaining what's going on in the commodities market. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Dan. Thank you very much for having me today. Just give us a little bit of background of what you've done before you created the Huber Report. Very good. My uh, my background really, I guess, almost goes to childhood. I uh, grew up in a family grain and feed operation. We've always been very active in the agricultural industry. And, of course, even before that, my my father and mother's families both have uh, strong, deep roots in the agricultural section here in the Illinois. And uh, I, I personally had entered the commodity field that always had an interest in grain markets and trading and uh, most specifically hedging, uh, you know, from, from early, early on of my years and uh, had entered the actual commodity business as a broker in 1979 and uh, soon thereafter actually started my own advisory firm and worked with a partner for many, many years uh, providing brokerage services, advisory work primarily for farmers and grain elevators and uh, joined forces then in uh, 2002 with uh, Diversified Services, which is a a provider of crop insurance across the United States, actually one of the uh, one of the top five providers there. We were also connected with Consolidated Grain Barge, which is one of the uh, one of the larger grain companies worldwide right now. Actually, does quite a bit of business in the Far East, and uh, you know, it's a, a business I've always thoroughly enjoyed. I've always uh, really uh, uh, really had an interest in not only working with markets, but uh, you know, you, you know, of course, everything everything in commodities impacts all of us. It impacts us each and every day in the in what we pay for food prices and the trends there. And gosh, on a worldwide basis, I mean, you don't have to go back too many years here and. Uh you know, with food rights around the world, as prices escalated and, and supplies were supplies were uh, less than plentiful in many areas. So, you know, many many wars, many revolutions have been triggered over food. So, it's a I've always felt it's you know, one of the places to be because it's absolutely one of the essential things we need for life. So, let's talk about investing in, in uh, agriculture uh, for the average individual who's not sophisticated, who's not going to be following the markets day to day. Are there some ways? Uh, to benefit from the, the current, basically, we have a rising food price situation. Oh yes, you know, and, and again, keeping consideration the rising food price situation we have right now is really very much related to uh, drought conditions in several parts of the country, particularly California, over the last three years, and you know, and less than ideal hay pasture conditions in some of the western states as well. And additionally, in the last uh, year now, boy, there has been a a disease problem within the hog industry, and, and which has created some some uh, abnormally high mortality rates. I mean, we probably lost somewhere. I think they're they're estimating somewhere around eight million head of hogs this year, which would have come to market. That uh, have really explained why we've had the higher food prices. You know, this is probably in the greater scheme of things is somewhat of a. Uh, uh, somewhat of a short-term cyclical type of thing. We're, we're, when I say short-term, a year, two years, I mean, it's not one of these long-term events that's really going to keep us higher. The commodities really did become an, in a, uh, a favorite investment, though, really, over, starting you know back in 2000. And I think for, for a number of reasons. One, you know, we, we did see the general commodity sector begin to, uh, to strengthen. And, of course, when we say commodities, I mean, that goes all the way over to crude oil and gold and silver and things of this nature. Uh, aluminum, I guess you'd say. And you know, people recognize that commodities tend to be non-correlative to uh, the equity markets. 
So uh, there, you know, a lot of studies were run optimizing what would what would a, uh, an overall portfolio how would it perform? You know, good years, bad years, and what you found was a lot of money managers then began to move into commodity funds or, or diversify part of their portfolio into commodity funds. M- most often, ten to fifteen percent of a to- total portfolio would then move into commodities, and what that tended to do, you know, particularly, or gosh, I remember very very distinctly back in two thousand, uh, you know, when the uh, after the tech bubble, the uh, you know those who had divested uh, you know ten to fifteen percent of their portfolio into commodities really took uh, you know a lot of that hit out of what happened in that two thousand two thousand two period, and uh, you know even even in two thousand eight. The uh, you know not that everything didn't suffer when we uh, we entered the recession there, but commodities actually turned out of it pretty quickly and uh, turned into new highs into the year 2012. It wasn't that every commodity went up. So so again, having that that. Uh, Balance, uh, where not everything is either in in equities or bonds. Uh, it's a real alternative to stocks and bonds. You're saying, yeah. So a- absolutely. Again, for people absolutely. who are not trading futures, do you like uh, the exchange traded funds as a way to play pure commodities? For for the small individual who wants to do them to do it himself, yes. I mean, I think that that's probably the ideal way to do it. I mean, the uh, with an exchange traded fund, you, know, you can break it down to any number of different sectors of the commodity themselves, or take a more of a general uh, general type of investment. Commodities, uh, but you know you're not worried on the on the margins, and, and of course when you actually deal in futures contracts, you have contracts that expire on certain months. Where you're into an exchange traded fund, you're not dealing with that. So I think for the uh, the average investor, if you're if you're not out turning it over to an actual money manager, then I think of the exchange traded fund. Is so so what, what would be, be some there. of your favorite uh, ETFs in the commodities in the agricultural market? Uh, you know, and again, I guess I. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally qualified to say that. I know Deutsche Bank uh, had several ETFs that were uh, very much uh, broken down by commodities. A corn, e- a grain ETF, which was corn and wheat. They had one that was more more generic between corn, soybeans, and wheat. Uh, they, uh, you know, you could you could break it down by the different commodity groups, and they they were some of the more flexible ones out there. But uh, yeah, you know, again, there's just about every uh, ETF company did have you know a, a different mixture in there. So it's you know myself, you know, was looking. At the uh, and again dealing primarily with the agricultures, you know I would probably tend to want to be shifting money, you know, back and forth between, you know, what what commodity looks to be have the most potential to the upside right now. But it's but 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 that said, you know, most people don't want to look at anything quite that uh, maybe maybe actively trading. Yeah. So it's uh, so you know in the long run, I know as you say, in the short term we've had drought situations, so on, but mm-hmm. in the long term, uh, people make the argument that food prices are going to go up because of increased demand. Uh, particularly from Asia, as these uh, mm-hmm. economies get stronger and people eat better and so on. Are you a believer in that the long-term argument that the food prices will go up? Because you know, I, 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 I guess I want to define long-term when I say that. I'll, I'll, I'll make it an unequivocal yes. I, I do think that uh, uh, as world incomes continue to rise, there's you know absolutely we're we're going to see a situation where food prices are going to have to rise along with it. You know, particularly as incomes rise, people tend to want to have a little better or what we would consider a west more Western diet. You know, where there's more meat consumed, which means more demand for grains. 
That said, the I think over the next, the short term, when I, when I start short term, I want to say ten to you know five to ten years uh, to an extreme of twenty years, we're probably into more of a period of uh, relatively uh, flat growth in the in the egg sector, especially. But that's going to translate into kind of the general commodity side. And if you look back historically, you know, usually about every thirty years, we tend to get a very big inflationary push in commodities, and then we'll level off. We have to kind of readjust. And you know, when you go to the ag sector, of course, one of the main main drivers that we had seen uh, from 2000, let's say, to 2012, was phenomenal growth in the ethanol industry. Uh, that that really put a lot of competition out there on the, for the grains that were being produced, and we know how we allotted that to acreage. And that's that's leveled off. I mean, the uh, it, it the ethanol slow down. They've, they've like, reduced the the uh, subsidies for ethanol. Well, a lot, you know, right? it, yeah, you know, and actually, it, yeah, I think it, beyond the subsidies. You're not seeing any changes. There were there were mandates on how much needed to be blended, and there was you know a lot of discussion that that was going to continue to be ratcheted higher. Well, it hasn't been. They they have uh, basically leveled that off, which you know, that in of itself uh, stopped really a lot of that expansion in there. So it's. Uh, you know, with, without that growth engine driving commodities up, I think we've got a period of readjustment. And more specifically, what really happened was, uh, you know, again, we can go back to the early 1970s and have seen the same kind of scenario, you know, when that, well, it's it just economics at work. When you push to higher prices, you're going to stimulate the investment in um, different parts of the world. If we go back into the early 1970s, what you witnessed was China and Japan, uh, a few other countries really heavily invested in South America at that point. And gosh, in 1970, 71, you know, Brazil wasn't even on the map as far as a, uh, a major agricultural producer. Well, here today, Brazil produces more soybeans than we do in North America. Yeah. What we're seeing now is... Uh, not, it's still, still investment down there. I mean, there's still things to be done there, but the the dollars really seem to be flowing to Africa. And, uh, you know, they have uh, what appears to be uh, just tremendous opportunities for growth of land that has is not being used. And uh, I think I read here a week or so ago that uh, the uh, U.N. World Bank believes that in 2014, there's going to be around $80 billion, which will, set, again, set another new record, $80 billion uh, invested in uh, in Africa from various countries. Majority of that is in, uh, for lack of a better word, farming uh, resources, natural resources. I mean, of course, that could be gold. I mean, that could be minerals. There's a lot of a lot of the reasons that people are investing, but they all they all do come back to commodities. So but, that's going to add increase to, to supply, world supply significantly. Correct, correct. You know, so I, I think you've got this this balancing period here where we're actually going to step up world production, and and even in you know, for example, the old Soviet Union. I mean, there's a, a, not that Ukraine hasn't had its issues this year, but a lot of investment happening there to try to bring agriculture back. Now we know there's a finite amount of ground. I mean, you you can't manufacture new ground, and, and it takes a while to develop all this, particularly the infrastructure. But you know, there, that's why I think if we look over the next five to ten year period, uh, and again, to at, at the most twenty years, you know, we're probably more of a rebuilding phase where where the commodities are not going to be quite as inflationary. Sure, they'll be they'll be up and down years, and they'll be brief periods like we have right now with the cattle and the hog industry. But it's not going to be that uh, that big inflationary push as we witness from, let's say, 2000 to 2010. Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this, hour, this half hour is Dan Huber. Uh, he is an expert in commodities and the commodities market. Uh, he puts out The Huber Report, uh, and that is the website for it, thehuberreport.com. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's time to take charge of your own career path, but how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Dan Huber. Uh, he is the publisher of the Huber Report, which is an ex- a, a newsletter about the commodities market. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you very much. Let's go through some of the individual commodities that you're following. Just give us a sense of what's happening. Let's start with the grains, and maybe let's start with corn. Kind of give us a sense of what's happening there. Certainly, certainly. The uh, the corn market has uh, you, you know recently, and I'm going to say recently, the last month and a half now has actually been uh, working back lower again. We did have a, a slight rally from January one up through the first of May, and has since been uh, been pulling back down. We're about the same levels we were back in February. And, and the corn is a very much in a rebuilding phase. We the demand uh, actually stepped up considerably this year as compared to what was anticipated. If we went back to January one. There was a lot of people that really thought with uh, where the demand was, with the production levels we saw last year, we would probably rebuild our ending stocks or you know, the, the stocks we would carry over into the new crop year up towards the 2 billion bushel area, which is more than ample. Uh, you know, For example, a year ago, we had uh, far less than half of that, maybe around 800 million bushels. But uh, the, the demand really kicked in. I mean, part of it was domestic. Part coming from the ethanol side was a little better than anticipated, uh, but more so it was it was export demand. We our exports are uh, significantly higher than they were a year ago. Significantly higher than we thought in December or December January. In fact, we right now it looks like we'll export about 1.9 billion bushels of corn this year right. compared to around 700 million last year. So you know the worldwide demand has picked up pretty dramatically. Now, that said, you know, the the crop is in the ground. It looks like it's getting off to a great start. Um, granted, the the risk is still ahead. I mean, July, June, July is the real critical period for growing conditions. But boy, if we get there through there unscathed or with, with nice weather conditions, it's probably going to say the corn market's going to be more in a defensive posture through the balance of the year. And how about wheat? What's happening with wheat? 
You know, wheat, uh, similar in the respect that they, the demand this year has been a little bit better than was anticipated, you know, three, even three and four months ago. Domestically, we've had a few issues uh, with the production, particularly down in the Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas area. Very dry here a month ago at a, cr- a cr- critical growing stage as it came out of the winter dormancy. Uh, our, our crop is going to be okay. Um, our supplies are going to be about unchanged from a year ago. But what you see worldwide, though, and of course, I mean, all of these commodities are, are world traded, but especially wheat. Uh, European crops look phenomenal. The Russian crop looks great. The Ukrainian crop looks looks good. I mean, better than it was, let's say, two years ago. Uh, granted, we have, uh, you know, there, there will ultimately be the Australian crop down down the road. But what, what we find is a you know, relatively tight domestic situation, but abundant supplies worldwide. So, uh, so without. Uh, as it stands here right now, of course, wheat harvest is uh, will start here within within the next thirty days with no issues there. You know, here too, I think the the wheat market is probably probably seen a lot of its uh, better side upside action here too. It's broken, uh, you know, after a nice first quarter rally, we have broken back down to levels that we were at in January, February, and unless there is again some kind of a world issue that shapes up and that doesn't seem to be on the on the horizon right now, weather forecast everywhere. You look pretty solid. It uh, looks like we've probably kind of popped the uh, burst the bubble there as well. And then the next complex of soybean, both soybean meal, oil, and regular soybeans. What's the outlook there? Absolutely. The, uh, now there's where the excitement has been this year, and the uh, the soybeans. Ew, the we'll have some better answers at the end of June when we get some of the stocks numbers that come out. Uh, but soybeans. You know, and part of it has to. We have to go back to what happened a year ago. A year ago, uh, China really moved themselves uh, into, and not necessarily their own fault, became in a very critical situation. They they had booked a lot of beans out of South America, and that's one thing about the soybean worldwide soybean production. We're we're different hemispheres, so when we're producing a crop, South America is not, and vice versa. But what had happened is, you know, we, we'd had a substandard crop a year ago, but South America looked like they were putting on a great uh, crop, but they have just tremendous amount of infrastructure problems, particularly at their ports. And the, the Chinese uh, really were caught behind the eight ball, could not get product out when they needed it, uh, all, ultimately had to divert a lot of business back to the United States to, uh, to pick up beans, which, of course, increased the usage that uh, we weren't anticipating, but we, we had the product, but it still took us down to some very tight supplies. So we only had about a four to five week supply, which which we would consider a pipeline supply in soybeans. Kind of thought we were getting through that. And uh, this year, you know, they, the, the Chinese kind of went full circle. Instead of, instead of depending on, you know, are we going to get beans out of South America, they overbooked and uh, probably uh, booked far more beans than they needed. They've been back in the world market selling beans back in. But domestically, we have what almost looks like an impossible situation in that if you right now we have already sold uh, over 50 million more beans than we uh, we think should have been, you know, that, that was projected to be sold. And the only way we're counterbalancing that is we're importing beans. In fact, 
the the government currently estimates we will import 90 million bushels of beans and still only end up with uh, around 120 or 130 million bushels. So it's it is a very volatile market situation. We have a short amount of time. Let's just go to some of the other ones. Uh, hogs, you'd mentioned uh, a lot of hogs have gotten these diseases. What, what is going on in the hog market now? Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and absolutely, I mean, the hog market is uh, has uh, hogs. And hogs and cattle both, you know, have been you know stellar performers this year. The the hogs look like they have kind of settled down. And, and what what you found is, uh, you, I think I mentioned earlier this um, this disease that has uh, come from, uh, and nobody really knows where it came from. We know it came from somewhere outside of this country. Uh, probably came in through some some breeding stock somewhere, and uh, has probably knocked out eight, nine, ten percent of the uh, the overall overall size of what would have been the slaughter this year. Uh, but regardless, I mean, it's the it, we've we've pushed up in the higher prices. We were seeing the counter effect of that now. Uh, one is the, uh, the the hog industries itself has tended now because they have less numbers because they're seeing the higher price. What they do is they tend to feed the the animals to a heavier weight. So even though you have less animals coming to market, they're at a heavier weight. So the tonnage has not been as affected as bad as one might suspect with the lower numbers. But the other thing that we are now have been seeing for the last several months in particular is that the amount, the number of gilts, which are, uh, you know, which would ultimately become the sows that we produce the offspring, has been a lower percentage in the slaughter. So the farmers or the, 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 the hog industry is actually holding, holding those animals back with an effort to uh, rebuild the herd. Now, just recently, there's been kind of a second scare. I mean, this, this disease, this PED uh, virus that's out there, tends to have only flared up when it's cooler and wetter. So as you run into the summer months, it's, uh, we, we thought we were kind of beyond the threat. But as it turned out, there's this kind of a second strain that's shown up now. So still some issues, but I guess as a whole, I think we're probably probably toward the peak. You know, not not only because we see the, the heavier weights, um, but you know the consumers backing away. I mean, they're they're paying fifteen. The price is still affecting you know, demand here. Yeah. A year ago, and yeah, is the same away. true for cattle as well? For cattle, yeah, different uh, different reasonings. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the problems on the cattle. Have stemmed from the droughts to the western states, and uh, you know the if you look at total cattle, the cow herd, you know where where we're producing the uh, the offspring to uh, to uh, raise for uh, the feed market, uh, we're at the lowest numbers we've been since 1951. And, wow. you know it's been unprofitable years. It has been the droughts, you know, and not having the pasture to be able to feed them, uh, which also translates into dairy. I mean, California California produces I think around 21 percent of the milk for this country, and uh, you know they. They've just been year after year of drought and unprofitability on top of it, and so the numbers are down. So, and particularly in the cattle, you know, gosh, even even if you start rebuilding the herds, which which we are seeing, I mean, we are seeing that uh, yeah. that there is less heifers coming to market, meaning that they're they're going to try to start rebuilding the herds. But you know, you're talking about something that's going to take one to two years. So it's very really, really good. It's, well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Dan Huber. Uh, he is the publisher of the Huber Report, which is H-U-E-B-E-R Report. You can see he's very knowledgeable about what's going on in the commodities market, which is such a key market for all kinds of investors and the food you eat all the time. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Dan. My pleasure to be here. Thanks very much.
And thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management